I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode number 300. And today we've got another installment of our Rutfresh Radio mini-series, in which we're checking in with four hunters from across the country to get the latest on deer activity, current conditions and the tactics working right now welcome to the wired to hunt podcast brought to you by onyx we're here for another episode of our rut fresh radio mini series in which myself and Spencer Newharth are here to break down the latest and greatest recent intel from across the whitetail hunting world. That means, Spencer, what exactly? That means we're going to be talking buck movement in mid-September. And I think this is probably like the most up-to-date buck movement intel available. We're recording this on a Tuesday. This podcast comes out on a Wednesday. So all the information that you're hearing is less than 24 hours old. And we're going to talk about things like bachelor groups, how the weather has changed stuff, if there's sign making happening yet, what the preferred food sources are, all that kind of stuff that would factor into your decision for going out and hunting and, and what your setup is going to be like. Yeah, I love it. And I'm going to add one more consistent kind of segment to each one of these episodes. It's going to be the segment on Rut Fresh Radio where Mark gives Spencer shit for not whitetail hunting. <laughs> so I don't, I do not like the fact that you're a highfalutin elk hunter now, Spencer. Uh, no, not not highfalutin. I would, <laughs> I would be happy to be in a tree stand right now because the elk made me feel like an absolute idiot so far this year. Can you give us like a 30-second cliff notes on your first elk hunt ever? Or your first bull elk hunt ever, right? Yes. Um, lots of walking around. Lots of calling and sounding like a sickly elk. Lots of paranoia where I'm looking around hoping a grizzly. Hoping a grizzly isn't like the next big brown thing that I see instead of an elk. Uh, and, and yeah, that's pretty much it. Walking and calling until I'm tired. Sounds like fun. Uh, I trust that you will eventually figure it out. I have faith. 
Okay. I, I hope you're right. <laughs> um, so even though you haven't been out whitetail hunting, you have been talking to a whole bunch of people who have. And who are those guests that we're going to hear from this week? We start in Wisconsin and talk to Tyler Franks from 1080 Outdoors and then Andrew Maxwell in Georgia from the Southern Outdoorsman. Then we talk to Keith Thompson from Montana Whitetails, Inc. in Montana. And then we end with Mike Hunsucker from Heartland Bowhunter in Missouri. Sounds like a good slate of folks and locations. I like that. We got like far west, we got far south, a little bit here in between. Um, What is on your mind at this time of year? Now, I know you're not hitting it right now, but in past years you have. Um, Where are we? We're entering the third week in September. So... A lot of opening days just happened this past weekend. There's a lot coming up in the next, well, I mean, end of September, another slate, and October 1st is a whole bunch that drop. So so what's on your mind at this time of year, Spencer? Do you have like a quick hot tip that's top of mind? Well, historically, South Dakota's opener would be the end of September, and I'd haunt it every year. And what I kind of learned was that if I didn't have any like good or recent intel available to me, and I didn't know, you know, exactly where these deer were entering a specific field or I didn't have trail cameras up at that point, I would look to lifetime patterns. And what I mean by that is trying to think back as to what the deer did the year before and the year before that and the year before that for herds as well as individual bucks. Because a lot of times you see the same kind of shifts that this time of year when the food sources become this or the weather does this that the deer are going to respond a specific way and you can kind of track that year after year so if you're hunting a property that you're familiar with like i was in south dakota you can kind of sometimes go into an opener in late september blind but still have success and now that wasn't the case with your mega early season buck a couple of years ago, right? Because that was a little bit of a surprise. But but did you have some kind of patterns that you knew that kind of applied? Like I said, in that case, I was hunting the lifetime patterns of just like the deer herd in general. I knew that the end of September, when there's corn in, uh, that kind of creates these specific funnels that the deer tend to enter the field in the same place. And so I didn't have any recent intel, and I hadn't done much summer scouting, but I knew that when there's corn in that time of year, most of the deer would walk this specific area, and that was how I killed my biggest buck of my whole life. Yeah, so it wasn't specific buck lifetime, but it was overall herd annual pattern stuff that you applied. That makes sense. Um so so kind of jumping off of that, the the one thing I would think about at this time of year, um, other than, than the obvious things that I'm sure we'll talk about with the guests as far as keying in on food sources and changing conditions and all that, but, but this is when we start getting the first impacts of hunting pressure for a lot of people. Because if you are in one of those states where the season opened at the beginning of September, you've had three weeks of hunting at this point. If you are in one of the states that opened maybe September 15th, you're now into the first week of hunting and deer are changing their behavior. So for anyone who's in those situations right now, the summer patterns that you're looking at, the feeding, the bed to feed patterns that you maybe had keyed on those first couple days, that's going to change to some degree, possibly very dramatically depending on how much hunting pressure is around you, but it's going to change to some degree. 
And you just make, got to make sure you can adjust to that. A lot of people talk about the, something they call the October lull. And you can see that same thing in mid-September if you are hunting somewhere that's all of a sudden getting hunted a lot. Because oftentimes that lull, regardless of when it pops up, that's simply a change in deer activity or where they're being active because all of a sudden we're in there mucking around. So just be be aware of that. Think about that. Don't hunt the same spots over and over and over again that you saw a deer on the opening of a hunting season and then wonder, oh, why is he not here anymore? Think about how they're adjusting to people going in. And, you know, you can do one of two things. You could either play it safe and, you know, just wait until they become more active in the places that you had pre-planned. That might be the case if you just have a small property to hunt that you don't want to push a bunch of deer off of. Or if you have a whole bunch of places you can hunt or a huge property or a bunch of public land, you can get aggressive and try to find out where these deer have shifted to. Um, so, so that's something I'm thinking about this time of year. If my season's been open for three weeks already, that's something I'll be thinking about in Michigan for sure. Once we get to, you know, October 13th, 14th, 15th, 16th, that ballpark, that'll be when we're really feeling that in Michigan. Um, but it's an interesting time of year. I, I just kind of had the kick in the teeth moment where I realized, oh man, in like two weeks, the absolute marathon begins like already when September kicked off for me, I was okay. Yeah, it's starting. But when October shows up, it's just like buckle up. You're in for the ride. And, uh, that's staring me right in the hairy eyeball. So that's exciting though. Yeah. And, and both of those strategies that you kind of just mentioned for the different approaches to opening day, we hear about that on this week's episode, uh, Tyler Franks, Wisconsin, he went all in, on his opener, and he killed the buck. But then you have someone like Michael Hunsucker who does very selective calculator pressure, um, and, and he's kind of doing the thing where you, you live to fight another day and you're not overpressuring these deer, so you have more chances later in the season. So you hear both of those strategies kind of broken down in this week's episode. Yeah, I, I love that stuff, hearing about those different situations. And, and I do think that one of the real art forms or one of the like there's there's some kind of threshold that you push through as a hunter when you go from just getting out there and hunting when you can and just doing what you can to all of a sudden that next step when you know when to go all in or you know when to hang back like there's a certain art there that it takes some time to figure out but once you do when you do know the right time to strike to really make that kill that just seems to be such a big, such a big paradigm shift, I guess, as a hunter. So, all that's to say, I'm interested to hear these guys' examples and how one of them knew it was not the time to push in and, and go for broke, and one of them said it was, and it worked out maybe. So, uh, I am intrigued to listen to the rest of this episode. Is there anything we have to cover off on other than a couple uh, housekeeping things before we do that? Um, no, I don't think so. But I'll, I'll start with one of those housekeeping things. If you like this kind of info, the uh, you know up-to-date on strategies for this time of year, then you should head over to Meat Eater's YouTube channel where you'll see the second episode of a series that me, Mark, and Tony Peterson are a part of where we talk about how to kill a buck that time of year and the most recent episode episode two is about how to kill a buck in late september and uh, we talk about some of those things we just discussed mark but even even greater detail 
And then we're all done talking about how we would uh, put together a hunt for late September. We even break down a property and the property in this week's episode is a huge piece of public land in Missouri that Tony Peterson has actually hunted. So Mark and I take the first stab, stab at diagnosing this property and talk about where we would set up and why. And then Tony tells us what we got right and what we got wrong, basically. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting one. Did you happen to see Tony just showed how to kill a buck in mid September? Yeah, that that guy never fails. It's like late September and early October. He is always killing deer. He knocked down a giant. So uh, I'm gonna try to have him on the podcast here soon to talk about that one in more detail too. But uh, yes, definitely check out the How to Kill a Buck series on YouTube. Also. I'm going to keep on reminding you folks of this. We've got this new Whitetail Weekly newsletter. That's where all of the Whitetail stuff that I'm putting out, that Spencer's putting out, that the rest of the Meat Eater team is putting out, that's like the clearinghouse for everything. So if you go to themeateater.com, I'm not sure now if the pop-up is still there to sign up for the newsletter, Spencer. I think there's a new one now. It was related to the second piece of news I have. but if you head there, you'll see an opportunity, an option to sign up for the Whitetail Weekly newsletter. Get on that list. Then you're going to get the updates about these new videos. You're going to get the updates for a new podcast, the new articles that me and Spencer are both writing. And you will get news such as that, which we are announcing in tomorrow's Wired Hunt podcast. That's episode 301, in which we're sharing some really exciting stuff. You maybe already heard about it on social media. I'm just going to tease it for now. If you want to get a preview, you can go to themeateater.com slash winahunt. That's a big hint right there. But if you go to meateater, themeateater.com slash winahunt, you can get a preview of the special news that myself and Steve Ranella and Giannis Patelis are going to be telling you about in tomorrow's main episode of the podcast. So with that, Spencer, I'm going to uh, go to bed. It's late. I'm going to let you take it from here. All right. Yeah, there's a a ton of new content over at Meat Eater Whitetail Specific, and we're going to make you guys sick of Mark and I. (laughs) Yeah, that might have already happened, Spencer. But for those that are hanging around, we'll try our best to keep it going. (laughs) All right. We'll talk to you next week. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid, and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And, as often is the case, those guys were on to something. Because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from heart and soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised grass-fed and finished cattle heart and soils unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean convenient taste-free capsule find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. Hey, everybody knows Weber Grills. I've been using Weber Grills my whole life, and check it out. They got a pellet grill, the Weber Searwood Pellet Grill. Now, with a pellet grill, you can smoke, roast, and sear what I like to do. 
on the same grill. You can go from low and slow, okay, on smoke boost mode, which gives you great smoke at 180 degrees, or crank this thing all the way to a heat sear at 600 degrees. It's got a full great sear zone, so you can put more food on the flame. This this, this is my way of bull saying. If I was going to cook roast one way, that's how I like to do it, sear roast. Utilize the smoke boost setting to intensify that smoky flavor. Direct flame cooking creates searing, crisping, and browning. Food's going to look as good as it tastes. This grill gets hot in 15 minutes. Cleanup is easy. Cook confidently with intuitive digital controls at the grill and enjoy the sleek, easy-to-use surface. You can also add a heavy-duty rotisserie or rust-resistant griddle insert to up your game. Get fired up for your new Weber Searwood pellet grill. All right, and joining us on the line first is Tyler Franks in Wisconsin from 1080 Outdoors. Now, Tyler, in Wisconsin, what would you say the buck activity has been lately on a scale of 1 to 10? I'd probably rate it at at about a 4 or 5. Noticing that the weather is fairly warm, especially a little above average for this time of year, what I've been seeing on the trail cameras, the buck movement has gone, shifted a lot more towards night. Um, the bachelor groups have broken up, uh, velvet is shed, and then also noticed a lot of acorns are starting to drop, which has pulled them off the food sources. Um, but the heat really seemed to put a damper on opening weekend activity overall, not just bucks, but does also. I'm surprised to hear you say that it's been a four or five because you happen to kill a great buck uh, over the weekend. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about that setup. I did. Um, I got very fortunate in harvesting a nice buck with this opener um, just an hour and a half into the season. But um, leading up to that, I didn't really expect to be seen much back there. I kind of just went off of past history of where I've seen deer move up on uh, a bedding area and where there's a large amount of acorns. Um, I hunted very close to there last year and saw 14 gig opener and the weather was a lot more, a lot cooler. Um, so I granted I was only out there for an hour and a half, but, um, I had already been seeing more deer. And then, like I had mentioned earlier, the trail cameras really showed a distinct shift here once the velvet shed, um, I, on the farm I hunt, it's not uncommon to have a large amount of shooter deer throughout the summer and then once the, the, the velvet shed and they, they all split up and they repeated that this year and I, I had about eight or nine bucks that I was really looking at targeting and within the last three weeks I haven't seen but maybe about 30 to 40 percent of them show back up and they had been pretty consistent but I've uh, got some weather coming in here this week uh, temperatures won't be as hot they're still going to be warm but with the, the rain and temperatures that hopefully will change some things and we'll we'll see what that brings with that buck behavior change that you've noticed here lately have you seen any sign making start to show up then actually yes there's, i have another big reason i set up where i did opening day is because i did find a scrape line one of the scrapes is one that's been there that shows up every year but it had been hit fairly hard and then a couple couple more scrapes down this this old logging road that had been worked over pretty fresh so that that is something i was encouraged by seeing that top of that like i had mentioned there was uh, the acorns are definitely dropping right now 
and they're they're targeting that as a food source. They seem to have dropped a little earlier this year, and they're actually probably on the slowing down, but the deer are definitely still going after the equipment. You mentioned that you were getting a lot of different bucks on trail camera earlier this year, uh, but not so much anymore. How does your trail camera strategy change as we get into mid and late September? Well, this year it will be um, just probably leave them up the rest of the year and forget about them because I don't have a buck take anymore. <laughs> but uh, usually in years past, I've, I've taken them off off the uh, off the field. The farm I hunt, he takes his corn off really early. He uses it for silage and um we're pretty much limited to corn and corn and alfalfa. Some years we have beans, but at this point, those are already starting to dry up, at least in western Wisconsin. They're really starting to change color. Um, and then I start focusing on more of the uh, the, the pinch points in bedding areas and uh, oak, oak flats areas where there's going to be some transition. Um, I also kind of start to shift my 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 hunting strategy that way also i start working my way in a little bit off the field here later in the later september and october i kind of put all my eggs in the basket for opening morning and just went i went in pretty deep opening day just because that's where i felt i had the best shot at seeing some nice deer and because of the heat i wanted to be close to the bedding area with them probably having a little more restricted morning movement Going forward then in this next week or so, what do you think that buck activity is going to be on a scale of one to ten in Wisconsin? I'd probably I'd probably only raise it up to about a five or a six. Just looking at the wet looking at the weather ahead and we do have some fronts moving in, it is gonna get a little cooler, but it's still not gonna be a huge swing, at least over here in western Wisconsin. I think what I saw for next week was highs in the mid seventies and right now we're right in the low eighties. So but there might be some opportunities to get in and find some deer moving right before or after those fronts pass. I noticed Monday looked really good with some little cooler temperatures than what they have been and sunny sunny skies. Um, they I would probably look at going, but I have not. I won't be able to this year because now uh, I'll be focusing on bear hunting the rest of the season for that. Well, that's a good problem to have. Uh, congrats again on the awesome deer. Good luck with that bear tag in Wisconsin, and thanks for joining me. Appreciate it. Thanks very much. All right, and joining us on the line next is Andrew Maxwell from the Southern Outdoorsman who's been hunting in Georgia. Now, Andrew, in Georgia, what would you say the buck activity has been lately on a scale of 1 to 10? Uh, I would have to say it's probably been a 4 or a 5. Um, you know, the we had quite a bit of people hunting the public parcel that we were hunting this weekend, and I know some people saw some stuff, including myself. I did see one younger buck on the first morning, uh, but no one killed anything. Uh, no one saw like a big mature buck. Um, and the reason I say it's a four or a five and not lower is because I, I think that they were out there moving somewhere. I just think that a lot of us were set up in the wrong spots, uh, being with as hot as it was. I think we set up wrong. When you're hunting public land on a state's opener like this, how do you go about avoiding other guys? Uh, so a big part of that is going to be, it, it, you know, if you have it, previous year's knowledge is really important. Um, I'll take a, a day off of hunting and just drive around and see where other people are parked and, and, you know, try and figure out where the gaps are between them. Uh, if that's not an option, then, I mean, it really comes down to just looking at the basic access points and knowing that most of these guys, especially down in Georgia, uh, are going to be hauling in bigger, heavy climbers, and they're probably not going to be walking four or 500 yards. Uh, so 
I, I essentially got in a little bit later, uh, very like fluid with what I was going to do. Kind of saw where some people were parked and were walking in and then made an effort to kind of swing around them and get on the escape routes of a deer that they might have bumped. Uh, so just it really comes down to assuming where that pressure is going to be coming from and where these people are going to be parking and walking to and then setting up in the gaps between that. So you said you didn't see much for deer activity when you were down there hunting. How would you now change your setups looking back on the weekend and knowing what you know now? Uh, Definitely get closer to the river. So the the property we're hunting has a river on it. Uh, And, of course, down by that river, it is noticeably colder. I mean, it's been in the mid-90s this weekend uh, and, and this week. So I think that we were hunting stuff that would probably be good, but it's probably not good with as hot as it is. Uh, we were hunting some thicker cover, um, just around some regular hardwood SMZ, smaller creeks. I think that if we were to have gotten down by the actual river where it's cooler, I think we would have done much better, which, which seems to be the case. I have a friend of mine who's actually staying down here with me right now who's hunting that same property. And uh, he went and hunted the river yesterday and uh, saw that he saw two rack bucks and then had a deer cross a slough behind him coming off an island. Went to show us that they're definitely bedding on these islands and they're definitely bedding down close to the water in cooler areas. What do you think is the preferred food source right now in Georgia? Uh, that is very, it's very dependent on where you're at. I mean, obviously acorns and persimmons are going to be huge right now where you have them. But that being said, uh, let's say you have a bedding area that you're wanting to hunt and there's not acorns or persimmons within, you know, an easy walking distance of that bedding area. To find acorns or persimmons in very close proximity to water and good cover, I think that's a home run. If not, uh, if you've got a bedding area that's still got a bunch of native browse in it, you know, whether it be, you know, they're still hammering poke salad right now, uh, beautyberry and then various other things, greenbrier. Uh, basically anything green that a deer can eat, I would definitely key in on that as well. Uh, just because in years past, this time of year, we've killed deer and have opened them up and they've been full of green stuff, not necessarily acorns. So, uh, I wouldn't get too fixated on acorns and persimmons unless you can find them in the right spot. If that makes sense. Early season like this, what do your morning setups look like and how do those differ from your evening setups? My morning setups, I'm typically going to be pretty aggressive i mean obviously it's early season and i don't want to blow out my good spots so i kind of have backup spots around kind of areas that i'm not super interested in but i think i could have a good chance of maybe nailing a buck but also just a doe uh and i'll be getting in very close to bedding and i'll be setting up on basically where i think they're going to enter back into that i'll get in you know way before daylight and uh, hopefully have something slip by me um afternoons are basically the opposite in the afternoons you know it's much lower risk so i will go to some of my better areas in the afternoons and uh we're going to be focusing in the next week like tomorrow i'm going out and be hitting the staging area um we're basically we got some thick you know anybody in the south can be familiar with like thick pines like old cutovers cutovers probably seven or eight years old now Uh, it's really good deer cover um and we got a a wheat field on this place that we're hunting and the deer hitting that wheat field pretty hard. But in between there, there's this nice, beautiful little hardwood flat. It's got some privet and stuff down there. It's kind of thick. There's some acorns in it and it's just tore up with fresh rubs everywhere. So that's going to be my setup in the afternoon. I'm going to try and slip down in there and uh, get within a hundred yards of where they're probably bedded 
uh, and hopefully they come out and stage up right there before moving on to the major destination food source. Going forward then in this next week or so, what do you think that buck activity is going to be on a scale of 1 to 10 in Georgia? I'm going to say it's probably going to be like 7 or 8. Tomorrow we actually have a good cold front moving in, which in the south, (laughs) that means it's going to go from 95 to 85. Uh, But in the mornings, it's going to be nice and cool. I think Friday morning it's going to be high 50s, which is going to be phenomenal. Uh, That ought to really get them on their feet moving. I mean, they've already been pretty active close to dark uh we keep driving by this one field as we leave and every night we're seeing bucks in it you know 30 to 40 minutes after dark uh so hopefully that cold front really gets them moving better and a lot more acorns and persimmons are starting to drop now so that'll just hopefully concentrate them a little bit all right andrew well good luck to you and the guys from southern outdoorsman thanks for joining me thanks Spencer. All right, and joining us on the line next is Keith Thompson from Montana Whitetails, Inc. in Montana. Now, Keith, in Montana, what would you say the buck activity has been lately on a scale of 1 to 10? As far as movement goes, I'd probably I'd probably give it a 7 or 8. I mean, we have some clients out, and they're all seeing a lot of deer and some good deer. The big deer are still on their feet. Um, from a harvesting standpoint, it's been a little tough. Everything's so green and so tall this year. Uh, we've talked to some ranchers that they said they, they can't even remember having this much hay in the last 30 years. Um, just for example, some of the fields that we generally hunt that are normally a foot to a foot and a half tall this time of the year, we have some, we took some photos that they're up over six feet tall. I mean, the, the deer, you can, you can barely see them walking through it. So Activity-wise, for sighting has been good, but as far as harvesting goes, it's been a little tough. We've killed a few good bucks, but it's it's been tougher than, than past years, that's for sure. You hear of whitetails often bedding down in like cornfields and, and bean fields, but will you find that they also bed down in hay fields? And, and how has that changed then with this hay that's been so tall? Yeah, it's it's been tough. Um, we we hunt the, predominantly hunt try to hunt the river bottoms in the morning for the bedding. And it, it's been like, just like you said, that there's that much, the hay is that, or the wheat fields are that tall, everything that the deer aren't even coming down into the river bottoms. They're just, they're hitting the alfalfa fields and they, the, everything else is that tall. They'll just lay in it. They, so it's been, it's been quite challenging early as far as, like I said, as the harvesting goes. Now we had the full moon this last weekend. How does that change your guys' strategy? Uh, well, basically trying to get in on them without blowing them out. It's been so bright. I mean, crossing the river and everything, you can see flat across the river. There's no need for flashlights this week, that's for sure. Um, you know, it's it, it changes it a little bit, but predominantly we're still doing the same thing. I mean, we're on bedding. We're getting guys into the bedding in the morning. And then, we'll, and like I said, even from an uh, activity standpoint, it hasn't seemed to affect it too bad. So it's been a plus. You mentioned that you're seeing a lot of deer this time of year, but does that mean that you're still seeing the bucks traveling together and those bachelor groups are still together? Yeah, I would say so. We've had a lot of our clients coming back uh, at night, telling, well, even in the morning and at night, coming back telling us that typically when they've been seeing the deer, it's been the it's been the does and the fawns and, and you know some young bucks, uh, yearling bucks coming out together, and they've they've taken notice that once they started seeing a little bit higher age structure class deer that it's been strings of five or six bucks that are 
of the higher age class. So I would definitely say yes, they're they're bachelored up yet. To the envy of many hunters, you guys are whitetail hunting in an area that also has elk. So do you notice that this time of year during the elk rut that maybe those elk are pushing some deer off of food sources or off of water holes or anything like that? We we do see a division there. Um, there's the elk like they seem to congregate. There's there's two big alfalfa fields that they tend to to stick to every every early season for us. Um, and we actually we've killed some elk out of deer stands already. Um, as far as the separation goes, I would say so. It just seems that the deer just more or less kind of stay away from them. They don't they don't intermingle too much. If if it's a big alfalfa field, you'll see some deer out there with the elk, but they 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 definitely keep their distance. Going forward, then in this next week or so, what do you think that buck activity is going to be on a scale of one to ten in Montana? Well, I hope it's high. Uh, I'd, I'd say I'd keep it around a, a seven or so, somewhere around there. Um, it, it's been pretty good. I'm, I'm hoping we actually can get some cold weather here and maybe kill off some of this this green. But I know I'm sure we've probably got a few more weeks of the green yet. But I'll be optimistic and try and keep it at a seven and eight. All right, Keith. Well, good luck to your clients at Montana Whitetails, Inc. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. All right, and joining us on the line last is Mike Hunsucker in Missouri from Heartland Bowhunter. Now, Mike, in Missouri, what would you say the buck activity has been lately on a scale of 1 to 10? I would probably say a 7. Um, it's been really surprising, actually, as hot as it's been. Um, we've been seeing some really good activity and actually even seeing some mature deer. I've only hunted, you know, two nights. This is the third night of season right now. So, uh, But I've been surprised, actually. When it's been so hot... Does that change any of your strategies? Are you still hunting some destination food sources there? We've been hunting food sources, um, mainly clover. And uh, actually, surprisingly, the past few hot days, the deer have really been keying on a a boneyard plot, which is a brassica uh, ton of radish mix. They've really been hammering those, which usually they don't really hit too much until later in the year. So it's been interesting because every... You know, all the buck activity we've been seeing has been on those plots, which unfortunately most of them are set up for north wind. So uh, we've been having to set the clover and had some good action, but just not uh, not any bucks in range. How do you see those preferred food sources changing throughout the month of September? Do you think they're going to be consistently on those couple plots that you were just talking about, or is that going to switch? Well, I mean, a lot of times, you know, deer, you know, soybeans right now, a lot of them are still green, but they're just starting to turn. Um, some, you know, depending on when they were planted. So as those bean fields change, you'll definitely see a shift in, in the deer and, and, the, and the food sources that they kind of key on. And so clover's huge, usually really, really good plot for October. You get those, uh, those north wind cold fronts in October, and clover plots can be awesome. Uh, but I'm going to definitely keep an eye on some of the boneyard plots to see, uh, see if we keep utilizing them. How about bachelor groups? Are you still seeing bucks traveling together? Absolutely, yeah. Yep. All, uh, all the bucks, for the most part, you know, are still... Bachelor up pretty good. Just seeing some young bucks hanging out with those. Now, we just had a full moon for Missouri's opener. Does that change what you're doing at all and what your setups are like? I, You know, I don't pay a ton of attention to the moon, and honestly, uh, you know, I don't know how that, that has really affected it, but, I mean, I definitely, you know, seeing seeing the bucks, you know, move around and cruise a little bit. The scrapes are actually starting to open up. Um, past couple of days, I've seen some new scrapes open up and seen bucks hitting those, so they're definitely starting to, you know, kind of uh, 
you know, get out of their summer routine or get more into the, into the fall routine. The scrapes that you're seeing opened up, are those kind of the community scrapes on field edges, or are you seeing some more, like, individualized scrapes that specific bucks are making on specific trails? Yeah, I think it's more of a social thing, uh, for sure. You know, as I said, like velvet, they start rubbing, rubbing on trees and, and hitting licking branches and that type of stuff, so... I think it's definitely the social stuff near, you know, near the food plots and food sources. Where are your trail cameras at this time of year, and how is that going to change as we get to the end of September and beginning of October? Right now, most of them are on food sources, um, edges of food plots, you know, trails leading into food plots. Um, I do have a couple on those, those fresher scrapes that are opening up, but as, obviously, we transition into October and the scrapes start getting ripped apart, that's my favorite, you know, favorite place to have a trail camera is on a scrape, and it's one of the best times of year to get pictures of bucks, especially um, in in uh, CWD zones like we're in. Uh, our farm in Missouri, where we can't you know put out any any sort of attractant. Uh, having those scrapes is just major. Speaking of CWD, I know parts of Missouri have been dealing with EHD here late in the summer. Is that something that has affected you guys? Yeah, we haven't. Knock on wood, we haven't had any uh, haven't had anything happen that we've seen. But I know. A lot of people in southern Iowa, a lot of people in north central Missouri, northwest Missouri are getting hit bad, and it's wiping them out. And it's kind of ironic this year because, you know, EHD you usually hear of on a drought year. Um, we've had, you know, heavy, heavy rain and lots of lots of moisture this spring. But since the moisture this spring, we've had a, a lot of heat, and that those, those waters are, you know, recessing and coming down. And um, it's causing a late, late bloom of EHD, unfortunately. Now, I know you guys do a lot of setups from the ground where you're hunting out of, say, a hay bale blind. Are you hesitant at all to do that early season, or is that something that you'll use no matter what time of the year it is? Yeah, I mean, we'll use whatever we need to use to, to kill a deer. Um, you know, blinds are hot. They're hot this time of year. Heck, the other day, I just wore shorts, man. Wore shorts. <laughs> so it's, it's been, man, it's been a record temperature year for us. I remember, you know, it's always warm early season, and People complain about it, but you deal with it because the because the hunting can be so good. But it has been downright hot, and so we've been hunting out of blinds both past few nights, and uh, just because you know that's what we had set up on the plot. But uh, you know they're so good for containing scent and containing movement that a lot of times the positives can outweigh the negative. Going forward, then in this next week or so, what do you think that buck activity is going to be on a scale of one to ten in Missouri? I'm going to say an eight or nine. I think it's going to really pick up. Um, we got a cold front coming in. I shouldn't say cold front, but a cool front. The, the 90 degree weather is gonna gonna be gone next week. It looks like uh, sometime this weekend, some, some chances of rain and uh, cooler weather coming. So I think you know that, that first north wind and, and, and high pressure system that we get in there could be could be super deadly. All right, Mike. Well, thanks for joining me. Good luck to you and the guys from Heartland Bowhunter. I hope it cools down for you. Appreciate it. And that concludes this week's episode of Wired to Hunts Rut Fresh Radio. Thanks to Tyler, Andrew, Keith, and Mike for joining me, and thank you guys for listening. For more great whitetail content, to check out the sweepstakes that Mark alluded to earlier, head over to TheMeatEater.com, where you're going to find articles, videos, and other podcasts that will hopefully help you this fall. We'll talk to you guys next week, and until then, stay wired to hunt. Hey, if you guys like to cook outdoors and you ought to, you should check out the Weber Slate Rust-Resistant Griddle. So this is a carbon steel cooktop. 
that's safe for metal tools. It's pre-seasoned with food-safe oils and ready to cook on right out of the box. It's the griddle that stays ready, not rusty. This griddle heats evenly edge to edge, reaching all the way up to 500 degrees. Get fired up for your new Weber Slate rust-resistant griddle. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase.